Welcome to Stories with Briscoe and Bradshaw. I would be Bradshaw, and that, wherever he is, is Mr. Briscoe's. He's from Oklahoma, but that's okay. He's actually a good person. And there are some guys in this business that are good guys. There are guys that you absolutely love. This is one of those guys I absolutely love. I've had so many matches with this gentleman. Everyone was a pleasure, and every night in the bar afterwards was a pleasure. Mr. Nick Patrick, thank you for joining us. Stories with Briscoe and Bradshaw. Oh, thanks for having me, man. It's been a long time since I've seen you guys, since I've been on the road with you, and it's been a long time since I've had a chance to see uh, Mr. Briscoe, and it's awesome to see you guys again, man. Thanks for having me on. Oh, Nick, it's, it's a pleasure, and you're, you're a second-generation ge- second uh, uh, wrestler and, 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 and businessman, and uh, your old man and I, <coughs> we, we go back to when I was basically, even before I was in business, because he was working in Oklahoma with his partner, Tom Ernesto, under the mask called the Assassins. And they were wrestling of all people, Jake the Snake's dad, Grizzly Smith, and Big Boy Brown as the Kentuckians. It was the biggest bloodletting thing I'd ever seen in my life. And I was telling John earlier in our pre-production meeting, yes, we have pre-production meeting. And, and uh, yeah. as we were going over stuff, I said, he's the guy, uh, Nick's dad is a guy one of the two guys that here I am in college and I'm watching my brother, you know, debut, but here's a guy that was under a mask that you didn't know who it was. And I didn't know who it was that that convinced me. I was a college wrestler and called everything. Well, it was a work. And, you know, after watching your dad and everything, I become a fan and I would become convinced that what your dad did was real. All those other guys might've been predetermined, but what your dad and uh, his partner in the assassin did in the ring was real. And that's a kind of upbringing. That's a kind of mentality that you were taught before you got in this business. And your dad pulled some great, awesome ribs on me. And that I'll share if we get time later on, but, uh, but, you know, you come from a dynamic family, a historical family in this business. You go back and you trace the assassins uh, lineage around wherever they were was sold out business. You knew when you went into the territory, if, if the assassins were on their way in there, the business was about to pick up. So thank you for being on here and thank you for your, for your dad's, uh, all his advice he ever gave me through the years and support. I'll sure tell him that. Cause, uh, I saw him last night. I laid down a commentary for my for a deep South show that I'm running down. He was my special guest. And, uh, he's told me a lot of stories about you guys too. When you, when you guys was young and my mom too, she go, those Briscoe boys, sometimes they would just call your dad late at night. I think they were out drinking. I'm not sure. <laughs> I said, well, that's a pretty good bet. <laughs> we were that, but we just wanted some knowledge, you know, we were trying yeah. to learn things. And you know, you know yourself after you've had a few, those questions start flowing. Well, who would have the yeah, answer? Well, old Jody would have the answer. And, you know, Jody was a one, like I said, he, your dad was one of those guys that always gave out knowledge at any time he wanted to know it. So we would call him, hey, you know, we did this spot. What, 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 what should we have done? And, you know, your dad was the kind hearted he was. He'd, he'd take his time out. Your mom wasn't too pleased about it, but, but your dad <laughs> was glad to give the advice here. So, you know, I, like I said, you know what kind of admiration and respect I have for your family. So it, it's just a pleasure. Tell us a little bit about your 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 production and the old school feel that you're trying to get on it. Yeah, I wanted to. Uh, it started off just me training some kids. I had uh, my dad had all his old Deep South equipment in this big metal building out on his property, 
And uh, during the pandemic, I had a bunch of different local guys and the ones that were pretty good uh, wanting to try to find a place to where they could work out. And uh, so I set it up. And actually, when I first set it up, my youngest son was interested in, in breaking into business and we was working out with him. But he became uh, a whole lot more interested in the technical end of it, and which turned out really good for him because he's freelance now and he's running camera and working for uh, NBC Sports right now doing uh, NASCAR. So uh, he pursued his passion, but he didn't. He just didn't really, you know, care for the. Well, I mean, he liked the wrestling part of it, but he was just his love was the other end of it. So, uh, but anyway, getting to the, to the deep south uh, thing, I. Uh, I had a bunch of kids and they're all trying to get looked at, trying to, you know, try to get tryouts and, and trying to get different promoters to look at them. And I had all this equipment just sitting there. So we decided to uh, try to put it together and do something with it. So what I wanted to do was just put together a one hour show. I, I don't, uh, it's not on any channel. It's just, you can see it on my website on the deep South uh, wrestling.com website. And uh, we're third show in the second show's on there. Now people can log in and check it out for free. But I didn't want to do a show like everybody else's, you know, with the ramps and the music, because everybody has done that for the last 20 years. So I wanted to have a different look. And we so we took the building, we set it up and it's got kind of an old school wrestling fight club feel to it. Everybody that's on the card surrounds the ring. They stay in character throughout the whole throughout the whole show, interact with, you know, and react to the match that's in the ring. So they give it up for the people that's in the ring, because when when they're in the ring, people are going to be giving it up for them. But it gives them a chance also to get their character over because my uh, my roving camera guy shoots over people's shoulders a lot while there's while he's getting the action in the ring. And it gives these guys a chance to talk and get their character over. And, you know, it's just a different way other than walking down the ramp with the music and and, and a different look. And I wanted it to be different anyway. But uh, it's just a, a, a one hour show with five matches. And I try to find the best of the local uh kids that I know that I've seen work that I've worked with on different local independent shows. And that some of them that I've trained myself and uh, we train people out of the building and we run shows out of there. And uh, like I said, third show is just about to be released. And I did uh, put the commentary down on it last night. And I had uh, what I do is we don't have, we don't actually do commentary over the show. We let the reaction of the people around the ring be the commentary. It's because people are getting their characters over and the commentary that we do is just pretty much wraparounds where we critique the match and then pitch it to the next match that's coming up. And I had Pops uh, be my special guest, man, and he had a it was it was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. He uh, he uh, he really got into one promo, man. We had a tag match, and uh, he liked the tag match, but he got to go in on our wraparound. We had a wraparound that lasted about ten minutes actually, but it was a, it turned out it's a great promo. And I have so many people on, on my Facebook page hitting me up, always asking me about my dad. And anytime I put a picture or anything about my dad out there, this response is, is crazy. So I asked him, I said, Hey, well, would you be my special guest pretty please? And uh, he said, yeah, I'll do it. So, so we ended up being, so our next show, you'll be able to see pop without the mask doing special commentary on deep South wrestling. So how is your dad to work with, Nick? I mean, is is he somebody that's kind of hypercritical to you, or is he – how is he to work with? Uh, he was always – he was really easy to work with. He, he would want you to do your thing, and he wouldn't drill you very hard, but he would get you to the side and tell you what you did right, what you did wrong, you know. And uh, it was very helpful to me because I've been listening to about psychology and stuff since I was a little kid, right? My first gig in the business, I was ring announcing in the sixth grade. 
And my dad would take me in the summertime on roads with him. And uh, there'd be little towns like I think America's Georgia was I went. And they didn't have a uh, they didn't have a I was scared to death to talk in front of people back then, too. I was that kid in class that when everybody had to take turns reading, I was like hiding behind somebody. Man, I didn't want them calling my name. I, didn't, I was like, oh, my God, please don't call me. And so I go down to the town with pop. And they say, oh, we don't have a ring announcer. It's like I got thrown in the deep end and had to learn how to swim. And Pop goes, oh, the kid will do it. I was like, oh, crap, you know. And I got out there, and they didn't have a microphone or a megaphone or nothing, man. I was like, okay. So I had my little piece of paper with all my information. I'm like, I think I'm in the sixth grade. Yeah, I'm in the sixth grade. And I, I was going, and in this corner. <laughs> and it, but it was a great experience, and it kind of it got me over it never got me over the fear of being, of speaking in front of people because to this day, I, I still have that, but I'm able to deal with it and do it. You know, I just kind of get in character and, 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 and kind of block them out and focus on what I'm saying and focus on my character. And uh, I'm able to do it that way. But as a kid, boy, I didn't want to talk in front of anybody. <laughs> I was like, oh, what, please what territory was that? Where, where were you? Uh-huh. At in grade? What territory was that? Where, where were you at in sixth grade? It was uh, in Georgia, here in Georgia. Once uh, we traveled all around the country with my dad at first. I lived, gosh, we lived in the Carolinas and in St. Pete in Florida. We lived in Amarillo. I lived in Santa Monica, California. I lived in Hampton, Washington. But then once my sister and I both were in elementary school, he didn't want us having to make new friends every time we, he had to make a move. So, and the Atlanta airport was, was a big factor because he went to Japan a lot and he went to Australia a lot and that was an international airport. So he decided just to make Atlanta our home base. So we was, uh, from the fourth grade on, I lived, I lived here in Georgia. Nick, then, uh, Nick, your, your dad was uh, obviously a math man. One of the greatest tag team, math tag team, uh, uh, in the history of our business. What was it like growing up? I mean, I, I know you had friends, uh, you know, uh, would they ever ask you a question? Because you, your dad's not no ordinary size human being. <laughs> you know, he's oh, a, I got, I got he's a big guy, but did they ever put two and two together? You know, this is a guy with a mask or ask you any questions or you have to break cafe back in those days or what? No, I, I never broke cafe all the way until he, even when they flat out busted us. Because everybody was a fan back then, and we used to go down to that old city auditorium, and like you said, there was kayfabe, and, and people suspected it. And they'd ask me, but uh, I told them that Pop was a, a deputy sheriff because back then he, all the cops was friends with the guys, and they gave you special deputy sheriff badges and stuff like that. So that's what I that's what I took it and ran with it. And then, you know, when they'd see his head all gigged up and stuff, and then I'd say, oh, well, he, he had a hell of a time arresting somebody. <laughs> and I, just kept, I just kept the lie going, no matter what, you know. But uh, eventually, people followed him home from the arena, even though he'd try to lose them. And, and, and they saw the car parked there, and it was the car and his license plate. So, you know, people busted us out that way. But I still wouldn't admit it, you know. And until he took his mask off on an angle at Georgia TV, I, I kayfabed it. That's how we they brought it up. You know, that's how we were raised. You K Fabe was was serious. In fact, he was so serious about it. This is kind of a funny story. We're we're working in WCW now. And and at that at that time, everybody is, you know, everybody said, oh, K Fabe is dead. Well, <laughs> Booker T and his brother were standing there talking to somebody. And we were backstage, but they had opened the doors and people were coming in and filling in. And, and they were at a place where people could see, you know, that they were talking and they were talking with the folks they were working with. 
And Pop saw that <laughs> and he yelled, he goes, hey, K-Fame over there, God damn it. <laughs> you should have seen these four grown men all, all run in different freaking directions. <laughs> and then they stopped and went, wait a minute, we're backstage. What the hell are we <laughs> K-Fame for? <laughs> and they all got back together and started talking. But I saw that. I laughed my butt off at that. I thought that was funny. <laughs> you know, make, make a lot of second-generation wrestlers talk about the kayfabe with their parents, but you had a different kayfabe because you knew your father was masked. You knew his real identity. How did that differentiate between say a lot of these second generation wrestlers who weren't smartened up in the business? How much were you smartened up to the business to your father being this bad guy under the hood? I had to be smartened up from an early age because if he took us around, cause he was always in an angle and always in, you know, in a, in a, in a brawl and there was always juice and uh, he didn't want it to traumatize us. So he let us know, you know, what was going on and that they were really friends. And so at an early age, he took me back backstage and would introduce me to the people that he was working with. Even if they, even if I knew they were getting juice, I, I knew that. And it's and it's, and it's like he said, you couldn't see through the work. I was like, God, how are they doing that? And juice freaked me out, too, because I was scared to death to get a shot. I couldn't imagine him cutting his damn head open. I was like, are you kidding me? It was like, it'd almost be better for somebody to hit you and bust you open, you know? But I didn't know. I didn't know any better. I was just a kid. But yeah, he, he smartened us up at a really early age because, because he had to pretty much. He didn't want us to be traumatized by it. So I, I knew. Hell, I was flushing blades down the toilet when I was in the fourth grade. Yeah. <laughs> One time Eddie Guerrero told me, he goes, hey, good juice essay. I said, the blade's still on my wrist. He had busted me wide open. Oh, no. <laughs> he, goes, oh. he goes, that's even better. <laughs> it wasn't like, I'm sorry. It was, you know, back, you know how it was back in the day. We thought it was funny. Yeah. I got, I got a scar on my bicep where Brian Pillman got juiced at the center stage in Atlanta one time. And he goes, hey, Nick, here. And he just, he just handed me the blade, but he stuck it right in my damn bicep. <laughs> and I was like, oh, shit. I brushed it off and it went to the ground. I stepped on it and I let the match go on for a second. And I... I reached down and I scooped it up and he had already got juice. And he had like two little trickles of blood. And I looked down and I had blood shooting all down my arm, all, all down my forearm. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> I should have rubbed some of it on his head because he didn't have juice at all. <laughs> well, while we're on this blood deal, I shared the story with you guys earlier. And I, I, I uh, was telling John, you know, like I said, your dad convinced me that everything was real. So, I'm I'm breaking into business. My brother Jack had already been in the business. He's gone to Texas. He's gone. He's he's moved on. And so now I'm I'm stepping into that college kid row. So I'm doing my very first TV shoot in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. My my tag team partners Roberto Soto, another young guy, great fiery Latin Puerto Rican kid. I mean, he had fire that I like Roberto. That, I that was this second to none, you know. And what a what a great partner he was. He he and I teamed up in my early career. But we're going against the, the assassins, you you and your dad and Tom. And so we're sitting in the you know, typical TV station, TV dressing room, like a damn broom closet for the wrestlers at, at TV. <laughs> you guys have both have done them. And, you know, you know what I'm talking about, but, you know, there's not a lot of room in there. So we're talking about the match, you know, and, uh, Hey, we're going to take the fall on Roberto, but you know, we're going to get some heat on you. you. You give the tag to Roberto, but before you give the tag to Roberto, we're going to get uh color on you. I didn't know what the hell color was. 
Yeah. What do you mean you're going to get color on? Well, we're going to get, we're going to get color. So I got up. I always, you know, we, we got out. I walked over to Danny Hodge. I said, Danny, they're talking about getting color on me. What, what are they talking about? He said, juice. I said, oh, what's juice? <laughs> you know, I, 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 <laughs> I, I, excuse me. I knew nothing because they didn't tell you nothing back in those days. It's kind of trial by trial and error there. So <laughs> Danny said, They'll take a razor blade and, and they'll cut your forehead and you'll be a bleed. We call it juice or our or color. He said, but whatever you do, don't let that heavy set one cut you because he goes long and deep. So yeah. now here you're talking 21 year old guy just got out of college on his first TV shoot. I'm just petrified, man. That's the other guy. And Jody, the, the big one's the one that talk about cutting my damn forehead open. And so, you know, of course, all the, all the guys get word of, oh, man, he cut this one guy. He cut him from, you know, ear to ear. Oh, God. Oh, man. <laughs> so in those old TV stations, it was hot as hell because you had that big light shining down over the top of oh, yeah. you know, those cameras, you know. They needed that strong light to get a good image. So those TV uh, rings, I mean, they were probably, you know, 20 degrees higher than, than you know, the normal normal temperature so we're under there we're sweating like crazy we're going into a match all of a sudden it comes time all right kid here we go so i was just out of college like i said i had the hair down here so i feel him pulling that my hair back and so i'm bracing for it. i'm you know i'm holding my breath i'm blowing on my cheeks and everything all of a sudden i feel this this sharp thing go across the top of my head and your, your dad said, oh no i hit a gusher i hit a hit a vein and so man when he said that I, I, i'm just going crazy i'm slapping my head i'm going like this <laughs> looking at the palm of my hands and i don't see any blood and i'm slapping them pretty soon i feel that big old belly and those shoulders just just, just humping on the back of me you know and he's laughing his ass off under that mask you know that mask <laughs> was a great advantage because you could pull a rib on somebody and laugh and nobody yeah. the audience would know you're laughing yeah and so i'm hitting there and so we tag damn it so i finally get myself together i go over and tag even in the corner i'm still you know feeling my head because i know i know he cut me to death you know yeah. but that's uh, just it is the kind of man your dad was he loved to have a have a good time <laughs> That's funny. We met your son. He come up and did a shot up in McDonough, Georgia, I don't know, four or five years ago. And uh, Pop was there. And we met him, and he he told your son that very same story. <laughs> I loved it. That's a great story. That was an old rib they did in the sportatorium several times. You know, a guy would come in, they'd give him just a piece of tape with no blade in it. <laughs> a guy would try to get juice. They'd go, oh, too much, too much. It's bad. Oh, no. <laughs> I love it. wasn't a Gary Hart blade, though. <laughs> oh, my, oh, my God, no. Not Sweet Lucy. <laughs> Nick, what did you want to – when you were growing up, uh, the son of this famous uh, wrestler who you couldn't talk about being a wrestler because he had more under the hood <laughs> – what did you want to do? Did you did you want to just did you have anything in mind other than going in the business? Ah, I didn't really know anything else that I wanted. I knew I wanted to be in the business, and I never really had a, a, a plan B. You know, I, I started off. Uh, I worked. I went to like a normal kid. I went to college for a year, and I started my second year of college. I started working part time while I was going to school. I was in. Uh, at Central States, Pop took the book over for a year. Were you a worker or, or a referee? A referee. I refereed for about four years before I become a worker. 
And then I, I turned into a worker back at the right as Georgia championship. You turned into a worker. I never heard that part of it. Yeah. Well, I tried to turn into a worker. <laughs> but anyway, I did that right at the end of the uh, right when Crockett was took over from uh, Barnett's TV. Remember Barnett had it for a while and Ole, and then that was back around the black Saturday when Vince come in and out. And and then uh, and then uh, Ole and them took off and we, we was on TV down and doing TV down in Macon instead of down at uh channel 17 studios. And, uh, so I started wrestling. Then I did an angle with Bob Roop or, uh, he didn't like a call. He got juice and I just demanded to fight. And my first four or five matches were all street fights with Bob Roop. Huh. And, uh, so, uh, it was just mostly selling, you know, I'd fire a little bit and sell and getting juice, you know, <laughs> actually getting juice. He didn't do the fingernail deal to me, <laughs> <laughs> but it was, uh, it was, it was a great experience. And then, uh, but I always wanted to be a wrestler, but uh, I started off as a referee because that was what was available. I was going to college and I, I went to a town with pop and uh, it was Fort Dodge, Iowa. We was going to, and there was a big blizzard and half the crew didn't make it. So Ronnie Etchison was going to referee. So he decided he was going to work and they had me referee. I'd never, you know, I'd ring announced before as a little kid, but I'd never been in the ring before as a ref. So pop pulled me aside and told me what I, you know, what I needed to do and what to look for. So I was, Okay. So I went out and I did it and Ronnie Etchison wrestled and I refereed all the matches and they liked my work. So they asked me if I wanted to, uh, to work and do, help their referee on their TV tapings and maybe do one show a week. So I was like, yeah. So I was going to college and getting two shots a week or TV taping and, and uh, either at Kansas city or some close house show, you know, and if it wasn't close, I was riding with pop anyway. So it wasn't like I had to take off and drive my car by myself. So that's when I, I first got started. Then I come down to uh, Georgia championship. And, uh, when I first come down there, it was like, I was out of school and I'd worked part-time a little bit, but the wrestling wasn't open yet. Uh, so I went to work at Winn Dixie and, uh, I was in the, in the meat department, learned training to be a butcher. And then uh, a spot opened up for a referee spot at Georgia championship wrestling, because, uh, I think Teddy had become a manager or something happened. And they had another kid that was a ref that got in trouble and they fired him. So they needed a spot and popped through my name in there, and, and there I was. So uh, that worked out good for me. I'd pop, well, it pop, worked out I good. You had you had some great, great young men also refereeing, and they were great uh, mentors to you, uh, Sp uh, Spanky McGowan and, and Ronnie West and some oh, uh, yes, Charlie, yes, Charlie Smith, that I crew there. Some of, some of the legendary referees of, of, of the business. Oh, yeah. I rode around with Charlie since I was a little kid. It was uh, – it was funny. One time we was riding to Savannah, Georgia. Well, you're, you're Charlie ref probably refereed your dad first. Oh <laughs> well, yeah, I'll be dang. Yeah, he he refereed the match that Pop did with uh, uh, Dickie Steinborn. That did a, a two hour Broadway. Wow. Yeah, they did. They started off. Uh, they went through an hour, and they ended up finally doing a two hour deal one time. And uh. And he refereed that. I couldn't, you know, that to me, I couldn't, couldn't imagine that. I've done our Broadway with guys, but man, I, I couldn't imagine that. But anyway, uh, yeah, Charlie Smith, he was, he was a great guy, but I was a little kid and uh, Pop took me with him and Charlie and we were going to Savannah, Georgia, and they didn't have that nice Interstate 16 back then. It was all backward down there. That was a miserable trip back then. Too. Oh my goodness. It was, but I was having a blast because I was with my dad and somebody. So Charlie's back there sleeping in the back seat and, Pop says, 
he called me Joey. He goes, Hey, Joey. I said, yeah. He goes, you want to drive? I said, you know, I was like probably about 12. <laughs> I said, I said, yeah, I'll drive. You should have seen Charlie Smith come out of that bag. So he looked like his butt was on fire, man. Is that, no, no, he did no, the no. undertaker setup, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but Charlie was a great guy. And I learned a, a lot from Ronnie West too. I, when I come in, Ronnie was still reffing and I was under Ronnie and working with Scrappy. And uh, Ronnie was just transitioning out of refereeing and into the office position where he was going to promoting shows and helping with in the office there. So that opened things up more for me, too. It put me into putting me up into more important matches where I would learn more and like getting to work with Harley and Dusty and guys like that whenever they'd run Omni shows. And that was that really was a step up for me. But yeah, you were right. I had some really good guys referee wise to learn from. Nick, when, when did the uh, Judy Grable rowboat spot? Uh, happened. Oh my uh, goodness. That was my first year in the business. The first rib that was pulled on me. I, uh, I should have known. I was telling you guys, I should have known when I looked up at the beginning of the match and, and everybody from both locker rooms was lined up watching the match. I thought, dang, you know, you don't ever, <laughs> we never saw that before. So anyway, I'm working the girls match. It was Judy Martin and Joyce Grable and Lalani Kai and, uh, oh gosh, I forgot the other girl. Oh, she was a girl that did all the stuff up, up at WWE with Wendy Richter. So they told me in fact, said, we're going to do this uh, row the boat spot where the girls are down and we get their legs and we're like, like we're rowing a boat. And I said, when we do that, they want you to jump in the middle. I'm so I'm gun ho, man. This is my first year in the business. And I'm just wanting to know everything you need me for, you know, I'm okay. Yeah, I'm right there. So uh, they go into the row the boat spot and I jump right in the middle as soon as I jump in the middle, they quit rowing the boat and they just glom me. And we all go down at pile. And one of them is underneath me. I think it was it was Joyce Grable that was underneath me. And the other three are on top of me. And they, are, they started wailing on me. They was hammering my ass. And so I was concentrating on them beating my ass. And I was like, holy crap, I was covering up. And while that was happening, Joyce had undone my belt and undone my pants and unzipped my pants and my pants was starting down. And all of a sudden it just right on cue. They all four jumped up. And there I sat with my pants coming down in front of that crowd. And I wasn't expecting that. And I jumped up. My eyes had to have been like cue balls. I like, ah, and I put my pants up and I was putting them. And I looked up and the guys were rolling on the stage. And I was like, oh, okay. Now I know. Next time I see everybody's watching, I better be looking for a rib. <laughs> <laughs> that was the first cue when everybody come to the curtain and uh, you knew something was going to happen. Yeah, I, I should have, but I was so green. I didn't know at that point, you know. I thought, boy, everybody's watching the match. All right, this is going to be great, you know. It's, uh, they was watching all right. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, Nick, you've had you've had you've had some uh, great great experiences in in the business. But you mentioned something that's very curious to me. I've heard a lot of stories, a lot of different stories, but I hadn't really heard an insider story on 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 what 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 the inside action was. You mentioned uh, Black Saturday, which in my family it's known as Green Saturday. There you go. <laughs> but uh, were, were you at the studio the day that Gorilla and uh, them walked in and took over? Or were, were you there? Yes, sir, I was. In fact, I. What, what, what was the feeling when you guys saw? Were there any? Did you guys know ahead of time or what? No, was none of the board or, or what happened? None well, of the board. Walked through that morning. Because you had to be there at 730 in the morning or some ridiculous hour like that. 
Oh yeah. None of the boys knew anything. Uh, I don't know what Ole and Barnett and those guys knew, but they didn't let on to any of the guys. And we just, they're like normal, normal business day. And, uh, only they weren't there. And I didn't, I didn't see gorilla because what I used to do when I got there, Jerry, and it, I, I always knew because back then it was, it was kind of weird. Ole was, it was still kayfabe in a lot of people's minds. And it was a transition time of TV and television. And it was like, we were kayfabe and the TV guys about, you know, and I was like, how can that be? You know, I knew eventually there was going to have to be a transition time. So what I used to do is when I didn't, when I wasn't working in my match, I'd go stand in a control room and I would listen to the director. Okay. Cut the camera, this, this camera back. And I was listening and learning how they did that because in my mind, I thought one day there's going to be a spot where somebody's going to need to be the liaison, letting these people know what's happening, you know, so they can get, you know, because they weren't doing that yet, you know, and I'm sure Vince was already doing that. I'm sure his people were already smart, but they were kayfabe on our, our, our camera. And they made yeah. smart. The director was smart because he said, but none of the camera people, none of they they tried to kayfabe on them. So anyway, I'm in the, I'm in the uh, control room listening to the camera and, and Vince was standing there. I had, I didn't know who he was. I had no clue. I'd never seen him or even I'd heard of Vince senior, but I hadn't, I'd never heard of him, you know? And, uh, but I saw him, I didn't, I didn't even introduce myself to him, but I didn't, I didn't know who he was. I thought he was like some Turner executive and I didn't want to bother him. So, uh, yeah, what a mistake. Uh, damn. I could have got my foot in the door right then, but yeah. anyway, uh, but I'm a young green dumbass. What the hell? I didn't know. So I went on and work. And, uh, and next thing you know, they, they told us that, uh, that they were there, that they were taken over and that anybody that was interested in have, it was pretty much like when they come down to, uh, Panama city, it was basically the same thing They you know, they offered everybody a job that would, that would wanted to come and be there. And, uh, and, but it would you you'd entail probably moving. You probably wouldn't have to be living in Atlanta, but you maybe you could because they traveled. You know, so I at the time I just was was loyal to my people. And when they were starting me wrestling too at the same time, it was about the time I was starting that wrestling angle. So I went I, I went ahead and stayed with Ole and those guys instead of making a jump. Plus, I had no idea who Vince was. I know he was some guy from New York. I had no clue. I had absolutely no clue of of, of uh the significance of, of the role that he would play in our industry. You know, I just thought he was just some guy, guy from New York that had come down there. And when, uh, but I should have known when they had taken over, you know, and all of a sudden we're going down to making doing TV. But my deal was that I, I was starting to wrestle. I didn't want to go back to being a referee and I, and I didn't want to move to New York. I was, I was just like, I was only like 19 or 20 years old. No, I was a little older than that, but I was probably, I was in my very early twenties when that happened. And, uh, you know, Atlanta was my home and, uh, we had, I was used to doing all the, 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 you know, we, I thought we were pretty big at that time because we were doing tours to Ohio and to Michigan <laughs> and West Virginia. Well, well, we're big time now we're going to Ohio, West Virginia, but, uh, so I just stuck with them. I made a big mistake, you know, but when y'all come down that second time and, uh, to Panama City, I I made sure I didn't repeat that mistake. <laughs> Nick, I was there on that one. How did so, you sure were. I was glad to see a familiar face too. 
Nick, how did it work that first time? Did Vince uh, get together with the group, the, the Black Saturday, the Green Saturday to Jerry Briscoe? How did that work with you guys? Did Vince make the announcement and then tell everybody? Yeah. And yeah, Vince, I, believe it, boys? I believe it was Vince. Uh, uh, it was so long ago, and I remember him being in the control room. And then, yeah, it was Vince. He said that he's offering everybody a job because I remember wrestling too, and a couple people took it. But, uh, it was like, the TV had to be done next week. And it was either you go do TV for him or you go do TV for the other people, you know, and, or for us rather, it was us at the time. So yeah, he, he addressed and said that he offered, you know, anybody that was that wanted to come and work for him, he offered them a job just, just like they did down in, uh, in Panama city that time. It was just a earlier version and not quite as big, you know, not nearly as big of a massive takeover, but it was, it was handled exactly the same way really. And almost, I'm verbally almost exactly the same. I think I'm the only guy that uh, that was there to experience both of both of those events. That's right. I can see that. Yeah, unbelievable. So the, 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 let's skip ahead to the one in Panama City because uh, that's really interesting too. Were, did you guys know anything about it before it happened? Absolutely not. In fact, the very night before, hold on a second. Ah. The very night before we did a house show somewhere and the rumor was out and we point blank ask. And they said, absolutely not. It's all rumor. It's all innuendo. Just show this. We're, we're doing TV. We're in Panama city and blah, blah, blah. So we showed up there just another day for us, you know, because, you know, they supposedly dispelled all the rumors. And then, uh, then all of a sudden here comes Jerry and Shano walking up and we're, well, actually they were already there and had con- control of the, uh, of the truck. And then they had the compound set up to where they could start talking to people. So when we showed up there, it was like, okay, so they bullshitted us last night. <laughs> now, now let's, let's play this out and see what's going on and see if we've got a job or not. So that's pretty much how it was. And everybody was just uh, kind of anxious to hear the meeting and hear what, you know, what, what was going to happen, you know, because we knew evidently that uh, we knew the war was over and that there was a clear winner. Now it's just uh, where's, Where's everybody? Yeah. Yeah. So that's basically how it went down. You know, they, they told us up to the very last till the time we pulled up to the building and, and laid our eyes on you people. They were telling us that they weren't selling. Wow. Who was, who was telling you? I mean, obviously uh, you <laughs> I was one of the agents at the time. They didn't even tell me, uh, uh, it was somebody from, it was one of the office representatives and they had so many different office representatives yeah. that weren't, that weren't one of the boys, you know, and some of them, I don't even know their names, but, uh, it was, it was somebody that I didn't, it was somebody that they sent down from the office. They said, you know, from the Turner, blah, 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 blah. And I can't remember who it was. It was, you know, it wasn't a wrestler guy. It wasn't somebody from wrestling. It was somebody from the Turner uh, thing. One of their, one of their lawyers, I, I believe it was, but I could Yeah, say. I, re- I remember going and getting there very early and, 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 you know, we, we, uh, we had, uh, I can't, can't recall the guys tr- uh, in the truck, but we had one of the guys in the truck and uh, another guy that worked for Turner who had, who pre-agreed to, uh, to help us do the switchover in the truck because people don't realize how important that aspect was, oh, too, yeah. uh, you know, for the production people to know what was coming yeah. down and, and you know, we had to have a certain amount of time for Shane to cut in that last segment, but it was it was a couple of attorneys from uh, from Turner that that was there that day that kind of handled uh, handled everything and handled our transition of being introduced to uh, 
the production people and making sure that we had a clear right uh, to, mm-hmm. to do what we were doing there. So yeah, well, it's probably it, it, was, it was a confusing day, but you know, once again, the talent were, was, was so professional and just so, I mean, you know, it was like, like you say, okay, new boss, you know, you're changing territories. Who's the boss? And, you know, when do I report to work? And I mean, it, it was, it wasn't, it wasn't the stress and the, uh, and everything that a lot of people make it out to be. I no, mean, it wasn't it was, at all. It wasn't God at all. was so cooperative. I mean, you know, when it come time to, you know, to cut out a flare, flare course and being flare, you know, yeah, I forgot who he was working with that night, you know, for the title, but, you know, we, we had to have him out of the ring and Flair had to get his shit in, of course. Yeah. So I'm going to get yeah. heat with John, uh, with Flair again, John. So that's the only heat we've got heat, uh, heat with so far, Nick and Rick, but, Anyway, we uh, I finally I got on. I don't know. I don't know if he was a ref or not, but I I think I said, do you tell Flair that we're either going to disqualify him or, or he got to go and get the finish out because we need the time. Uh, yeah, I can't remember if I did that one or not. To be honest with you. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I don't remember. But yeah, but yeah, I can I can see that. I don't think I did do that one. I, I, there was a tag match or something that I did. I'm not, I think I had Mickey J or somebody do that one. I'm not, or, but we got flare out and, you know, and from there, everything just went totally perfect. I mean, but the talent, talent and all, all the guys, I mean, uh, you know, we weren't, we weren't really expecting trouble and, uh, we were expecting a lot, a lot more resistance than, than we got, but there was zero resistance that day. It was almost like a, a sigh of relief from WCW talent, you know, that, whew, you know, this shit's over. <laughs> Let's yeah. move on. Let's move forward. Yeah. 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 It was, it was kind of almost like a sigh of relief feeling actually, you know, I think it had more of a negative impact on, uh, on a lot of the crew people because you guys already had your select crew and a lot of those pe- crew people had had their jobs there for years and, uh, they didn't actually have a, a, a lily pad to jump to like most of the talent did, you know, all the talent, Either you brought a handful of guys in and the rest of the guys went to a training deal so they could get acclimated to what it was like to get there. But a lot of the, you know, a lot of the, the like camera people and stuff like that, they had to find different avenues of work. They didn't, they didn't have that, that lily pad to jump to. Right. So I think it was more difficult for them. I was very fortunate because I was, uh, I was an agent at that time for, uh, for WCW. I was an agent. They didn't even tell me that they were selling the damn thing. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, uh, so, so that made me a Turner employee. So I ended up uh, still getting paid for a while. And, uh, after everything shut down, I had, uh, I had built up enough time where I still got checks for so long. And I got my last WCW check and two weeks after that, I got my first WWE check. So I was, I was just very fortunate and blessed. As, you were shameless. You went from one to another. That, that's perfect. But yeah, you just had to, you know, you just met, you had a role. I mean, everybody wanted to either go work for one or the other anyway. You wasn't going to, it wasn't like there was a real war, like, you know, we hate you guys, you know, because, because you, you got to always keep those doors open. You, you know, you want to be better than the other people. You want to, you know, if it, you want to win, you want to be the best. That's just the competitive spirit. But you don't want to, you know, hell, everybody wanted to go and work up there. You know, that's because, you guys had the reputation for making stars. There were so many people down in WWE that had great talent, had gimmicks and had stuff, but they never either for one reason or another got put into that mega star 
spot and you guys knew how to, how to, how to create them and build them and, and present them and, and make them mega stars. So a lot of people wanted, you know, they were, they were happy to, you know, this is an opportunity to become bigger than I am now. You know, that's one thing that was uh, important during that era that a lot of people I think have mischaracterized since is the boys and, and girls, some of the boys as a gender neutral term, the boys didn't dislike each other. We didn't, we didn't, we didn't hate the guys at WCW. You know, no. we understood it was a war and that one side was probably going to win and one side was going to lose. Now, I don't think there's ever going to be anything like that in television again, where you have two high rated shows. You know, we were both doing fours at the yeah. same time. I mean, we're trying to put each other out of business, uh, yeah. which, you know, you have some executives that say that wasn't the case, but we felt like it was at least, but the boys didn't hate each other. I mean, it was just, no. you know, no. those guys are working, playing for their team, just like we're playing for our team. Yeah, exactly. And you don't want to burn that bridge because that other team, you, you, there's so many guys there that, that wanted to get an opportunity for some reason or another. Like I said, they didn't get that thrust Boy, they went up there and they got it. So that made everybody else know that, that there was, there was another opportunity, you know, that, uh, if they're going to, if they're going to pigeonhole you here and you're not going to break beyond, then there is some place where you may have a chance to break beyond, you know? And, and, uh, it was that way for a lot of different characters that, uh, that, that went up there and, and, uh, they may not have become well, stone Cold's the, 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 the number one and well, undertaker, you got to put him up there too. You know, I mean, my gosh, I remember a lot of guys coming to my dad and asking him, what do you think I should do? You know, I mean, I can't do this. I can't do that. I got this great idea. Pop told one of them one time, he says, well, I'd save that idea and pitch it up there because if you pitch it down here, you're going to see one of Ric Flair, but he's doing it on TV next week. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Nick, 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 you refereed a lot of, a lot of Rick's matches, a lot, a lot of championship matches and, and uh, WCW and Georgia's championship press. And you gotta have a, you gotta have a favorite, uh, favorite time, favorite referee, uh, a favorite match. Ooh, like Johnny Walker was such a pleasure to work with as a talent. I would imagine the same thing as a referee because he was, he was, he was such a gentleman inside and outside the ring. But what, who are some of your favorite guys at Georgia championship and WCW that you really, really, the matches stick out in your mind that you enjoyed working? I always loved working with Harley when he come to town because he worked so hard and, and Rick too, back when, back when the champions traveled, you know, and there were still territories. That was, uh, that was fun. You know, it, it, they, they worked differently when it, when it was just to become two big companies, when it was actually territories and we had the designated champion and he went around and worked with somebody different everywhere he went, you know, that, then, uh, I, I, I really enjoyed those times and, uh, working with Harley was awesome. I loved doing and a lot of times the hour broadways were so much fun. They were hard work, but I was young and I was gung ho, man. And, uh, and work with Rick was really Flair was really good at the first ever uh, hour Broadway I did was with Harley, but uh, Rick was really good at doing it. And he did it all the time. And I remember him and him and some of him and Tommy Rich's matches were really good. I enjoyed really doing, I enjoyed doing tag matches a lot too. And uh, uh, there were so many good tag tag teams. I really enjoyed doing the rock and roll express and the midnight express matches. Those were, those were, classic 
psychology matches and classic moves. And they would always in that always work some kind of little referee spot in there to entertain. And, you know, they were just fun guys to work with and, and would tear the house down every single time. I wouldn't like any particular match that I could, you know, point out because we, you know, back then, you know, you worked every night somewhere and, uh, you know, there would be the same people matched up in a lot of different places, but working with those guys, his tag matches were, were, they were incredible. That was a lot of fun. And in WCW, uh, like I said, uh, working with Buzz Sawyer was fun back in the day. Buzz was a nut, you know, but, but he, he was fun to work with back in the day. And it's in Georgia championship wrestling. He had a, he had a great reaction and, and a lot of people had, had a lot of negative about Buzz, but, uh, I'll give it to him. When I was first starting to break in and I was going to wrestle and they were going to do the gimmick with me, I had four guys that would show up in towns and work out with me. And Buzz was one of them. Buzz, Ronnie Garvin, Tim Horner, and Brad Armstrong. I was in the ring with those four guys. We'd get to towns early and I'd get in the ring with all four of them and we'd go till I blow every time. And I'd buy me a trash can, go throw up, and I'd be good for the day. <laughs> I'd get my breath together and go ready to go referee that night. But that was uh, those were those were fun days, and working with all those guys was was incredible. Working with Steamboat and Flair was an awesome combination to work with. That was that was a, a really a lot of fun. Working like the talent always say that was a night off when when Flair and Steamboat was a night off for the referee too because you got two total professionals in there that that kind of told them. Oh, you got to work. You're going to work a sweat. It was it, it, it was fun, but. It, but it was worth it. You know, it was so, you, you're just so into it. You don't really, you know, think, but it, it, it was work, but it was, it was work that you love. It's hard to explain when you're, it's hard to, for people to understand when you're in the ring performing in front of people, it gives you a feeling and the people are a sold out crowd responding to, to every move you make and everything you do. It, I get chill bumps right now, just talking about doing that, but it gives you a feeling that's, it's hard to, hard to describe and it's, and it's hard to, to duplicate in, in, in any other way. I mean, you know, there, there's moments that you, that you always remember, but, uh, you know, in life, you know, your children being born and stuff, but, uh, and those are, those are, 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 are different emotional, but, uh, being in front of a crowd of people that, uh, uh, where you can actually, they're so damn loud. It's like being at a drag race. You can feel the sound that is, that's an incredible feeling. And, and, I hope that a lot of these young kids get another chance to, to feel that again. Yeah. You know, Nick, we're, we're all fans, uh, you know, cause we're in this business, but you know, there's times, I mean, even when I'd sit back at that grill and watch the monitor, I would become a fan of watching some of the matches, you know, the, the yes. JBLs, the Eddie Guerrero's, the, the, the Kurt Angles and the Shawn Michaels, you become fans. And I, and I, I can imagine being a referee inside the business, uh, inside the ring that, you're watching this beautiful portrait, this dance come together, and you got yeah, that fanism and you's got to come out and say, "Man, this oh, is this is beautiful. I can't do anything to screw it up." You know? Oh yeah, you're 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 into the moment with 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 everything you have. It's the greatest distraction. You can have the worst the, the worst crap going on in your life, and you be in the ring performing, and all of that everything else kind of gets put on the back burner for at least that that period of time you know and it's an amazing thing that that you can that you can escape 
you know, grief, you know, losing a family member, losing a pet or losing something, you know, and you get in the ring and you focus everything into what you're doing into that match and everything else. You don't even think about that for a while. I mean, it'll come back to you later, but it, uh, it, it's awesome to be able to have something that you can, that you can just totally immerse yourself in and, and, uh, and forget terrible shit if you have to, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Mick, the, the interaction between a, a manager and the referee is unique to professional wrestling, and, and it's it's a very very important part of professional wrestling. You got to work with some great managers, uh, you know, JJ Dillon, Gary Hart. Who is your favorite manager or managers to work with? Well, the two that you mentioned were great, but I had uh, so much fun and always did spots with with Jim Cornette. <laughs> yeah, me and Cornette did so many, so many things together. We had our own little routine. We'd do, we'd have a five minute routine in the middle of the match, and, and then they'd get back to doing stuff. It was, it was, it was insane. It, but he was so much fun to work with, and uh, and fun to listen to too. Cornette is such a, a high strung <laughs> character. To listen to him, listen to him go off on one of his rants about something is, is just incredibly funny to me. I just, I like, I, I, it's enjoyment to me. I like to listen to it. And as what's funny is I agree with a lot of what he has to say, <laughs> not everything, but, but a lot of it I do. <laughs> uh, Corny is so talented. I, I love Jim. You know, people all have all kinds of views about Jim Corny. I, I've always liked Jim. I, I always got along with him. I always thought he was one of the most talented guys I've ever been around. Oh yeah. I did. He was, he was one of the most fun, uh, Harley, when he was in her, when he was, uh, managing like, uh, Vader and those guys, when he managed a few guys later in his career, he was so fun to work with because he would mess with me bad. There was, he got me a couple of times. Uh, the, the one time I walked by and, you know, he had that grip like Hodge, you know, that he could like break pliers. And I went and I was standing over there too close to him for a while. And he reached in and he grabbed me by my leg and he started <laughs> digging his fingers into my shin bone and I'm trying my best not to sell it. I'm going to try and no sell it. And I'm going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and he's digging. And finally I just went, ah! <laughs> I let out a yell and, I tried, and he had to let go. Cause I wasn't going to pull my leg away from me. He had it, you know, I was like, Oh my God, <laughs> it hurts so bad. And it, the funniest one though, it was, uh, and it was when Vader was working with somebody. And thank God it was a false finish because if it would have been a finish, I would not have made the count. I went <laughs> in to make the count. I went one, I went two. And when I went up to do the false, he Harley from the apron goosed me in the ass with his thumb and I shot straight to my feet. I would, if it would have been a three count, I wouldn't have made it. I went, I looked like Grizz Smith when somebody goosed him. I jumped straight to my feet. It was like, and I looked at him when I did that. He he started laughing and had to turn away because he wasn't expecting that big of a, of a response from me. You know, <laughs> well, I wasn't expecting that big of a response from me. But I I shot right straight to my feet. And went, <laughs> and thank God it wasn't the finish because I sure wouldn't have been there to made it. <laughs> Nick, in about '96, you became an NWO referee, and you, you had that one pay per view. We did every single match. But oh my goodness! Time, yeah, <laughs> you guys were, were killing us. I know us being WWE, me and Jerry up up, up north. Uh, mm-hmm. At least, as far as the office was up north, they always called it up north. Did Did you think at that time? Because I remember being there at WWE, not knowing who was going to win. I mean, you know, you guys were, were so far ahead of us. You had deeper pockets. 
it seemed like everything was rolling. The NWO was on fire. Did you guys think at that time, did you think that we're going to win this war at that time? Yeah, at that particular time, everybody did. Yeah, because we were, we, there was a time that we were on fire everywhere we went. And, uh, and there were so many people that were starting to, to, to jump ship and, and, and come down there. It, uh, it, had, it, it created the illusion that we were in firm control and, and going to win. It. It's what it, yeah, it, it, we did have that feel, and everybody did think that, that, uh, that we had seized control and, 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 uh, and was going to stay number one forever. <laughs> uh, little did we know. Jerry, Jerry, I never talked to you about it. I mean, that's kind of how I felt. I mean, WCW was was killing us uh, at the time, and they the talent was all jumping ship, and they had the hottest angle, maybe one of the hottest angles in wrestling history with NWO. What did you think as being part of the office in the WWE? Did did you think that were you guys worried that this was a war that you were going to lose? Well, I was sitting next to Vince McMahon at the time when they were kicking our ass like that every every. Uh, Every week, I mean, we, we traveled together and uh, we we weren't really allowed to talk about it, but it got it got so bad. I, like you say there at the end, I mean, you know, and Vince, Vince, Vince would literally say, we, we got to we got to start picking this shit up or we're not going to be around much longer. They're going to kick our butt. So there was fear. Uh, there was fear that that we were we were going the wrong direction. But uh you know, as, as confident a man as Vince is, he had that plan, he had that vision, and, he, you know, he just needed the right pieces of the puzzle to fit it together. And when, when we started, you know, getting Austin and getting Mark and getting some of these guys hot, you know, and uh, and getting – getting actually uh, disposing of some of the, the, the negative – issues that was in our dressing room at the time and we sent them to you basically or they wow. were walking and, and delivered you guys with a gold package a ribbon on them because of ted turner but uh we started feeling the change and then you know we started getting a few guys hot but yeah uh, as an office employee that guy that was sitting next to vince weekly when we were getting our butts kicked it was not a pleasant experience and anybody tells you otherwise wasn't setting right in direct fire like I was, and uh, we were we were worried, and we we were we were really concerned because number one, we knew the deep pockets, and Vince knew what his pocket his supply was, and Vince knew his his pockets weren't near as deep as the as the guys down south. But you know, he kept to his plan and kept kept that motion going and kept the boat uh, afloat and. Uh, Pretty soon it started turning around, and one of the big turnarounds, uh, Nick, was that guy sitting right there above you and, and and me. We worked a segment that really just blew you guys out of the water, blew professional wrestling out of the water. Whether the segment was so high, I think we had like eight eight million viewers in that, in that, 15, in that one segment. We did an eight what an eight point six or something like that, which blew every ever ever quarter hour of of wrestling away and still probably to this day still has the highest rated wrestling segment all the time. Nick, we were, unopposed, we were unopposed to you guys one one uh time the time Jerry's talking about you guys had TNT playoffs or something like that and uh-huh. we did eight point one overall but the highest rated quarter hour and and me and Ron were not like the guys you know we weren't the rock we weren't stone cold you know that, that you expected from that and just by happenstance what or fate or whatever it is 
Gerald Briscoe versus and Pat Patterson versus the Mean Street Posse and me versus Ron, APA versus APA. That was the quarter hour that the 8.6. So me and Jerry wow. take credit pretty much. We we give ourselves the entire full credit for winning the war. Hell yeah. <laughs> I take it. I don't blame you. That's that's a hell of an accomplishment. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I felt uh you guys, it was, you guys were, it was a family business and you guys have fought, had a different approach to why you were fighting. You had a, the other WCW got, we were owned by a big corporation and they, they, they didn't want to fight. They did. They, they didn't want to be in a dog fight. They wanted to be in a fight that they could win easily, but they didn't want to be in a dog fight with somebody that that was their living. You know, this is what we do for, you know, this is it. You know, Nick, you, you said it perfectly. Uh, it was a family business, a family business of even though they didn't like Santa, but we were a family business of wrestling. Yes. You guys were a corporation that was in a TV business, which Vince wanted to be. Yeah, <laughs> you know, so right. It's kind of vice versa because Turner wanted to be in the wrestling business. Vince didn't want to be in the wrestling business. Turner didn't care about the TV business, but that's what Vince wanted to be in was the TV business. So, Oh, yeah. Once he, ready he, started. Once the ratings started slipping and 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 different people getting in trouble and and you know, they become a, a a more of a headache to yeah. the corporation because but that, that's one of the reasons we knew that eventually we'd catch it because yep. the, the the leadership we we had one leader when that was eventually man without a doubt he was the the, the leader of, of the WWE and there were no 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 second command third in commands. There was one leader, as John knows, and, and and that was Vince. Down there, you never knew from week to week who was your boss and who was going to be making decisions. And as long as you uh, they were making making those decisions to jump management every every other week or every month when the when the ratings would come in or when the when the quarters are, uh, would come in, and they would change directions. I mean, well, that's when we started realizing that hey guys, we're, we're going to catch these guys. We're we're kicked their ass because. The just just the leadership of, of Vince McMahon over Ted Turner. I think uh, Vince kicked his ass. Yeah, I, I, I had an incident happen with me, and I've talked about it on a bunch of different podcasts. That people ask me the big match between uh, Sting and Hogan, and there was like supposed to be a controversial uh, count and all this. Now, I, something like this would never, ever, ever happen in WWE. But when I got, I was the referee for that match. And when I got to the building, it was uh, it was a summer slam. It was like the biggest pay-per-view of the summer. I think I don't remember which one it was for sure, but it was, it was the first Hogan sting matchup. And I was the ref. Now, Eric, I had to be there early always to sign in people that got there. So Eric got there early, pulled me aside, told me what the finish was basic, easy finish and disappeared was gone, never saw him again until the, the next show somewhere. So Holt comes up to me, gives me basically the same finish, but wants me to do a real nice, slow, normal count. I'm like, okay. Sting comes up to me, gives me the same finish, but wants me to do a fast count. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, well, let me find out from management what they want. Jerry, I went around that friggin' building all day long. I went in every trailer. I looked in every goddamn everywhere. And there was nobody, nobody that would give me an answer as to which finish they wanted me to do. 
So I split the difference and just kind of did a normal count, but because my counts were, I was being a heel at that time. So sometimes I'd fast count, sometimes I'd slow. So I just did something different than what they expected. And the announcers were dumbfounded because they were expecting one thing and they didn't get it. And I just did, I was like completely frustrated. Like, how do you, it was, I felt like they were setting me up to get fired, you know, but uh, it, it, I didn't, you know, nothing happened. I think Eric was just happy that it was over and he didn't get middled and have to pick a side because he told me the finish. And, you know, it's the, the same finish as a completely different finish with those two different twists, you know, a slow counter, right. a fast count makes right. it two completely different finishes, you know? So I'm like, well, damn, which one do you want? And there, nobody, nobody would give me an answer. So well, like, that's okay. the difference. That's what, what, what I meant. We had a leader that you could always go to, as you know, and, and we yeah. all three of us know you had a leader that you go to and, and we give you a definitive answer where up there, you you just didn't know, know who was boss, you know, and, and when you have an organization like that, you know, that's dysfunctional, you're not mm-hmm. in it for the long term, you know, and, and, and Vince was in it for the long term, obviously. So. Yeah. And played his cards that way. They treated, they treated WCW more like a bar business. You know, let's get it hot. Let's start the tank. We'll get rid of it. You know, once it becomes an irritation, let's get it hot, get the price up, then let's get rid of it. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't like, let's but keep they never this. got the price up. <laughs> no. <laughs> Nick, that match that you, that you had, you had two different finishes. Uh, did anybody come back and get mad at you or did it just, no. No, 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 I didn't get heat from either one of the guys. And <laughs> nobody, nobody from management. I think everybody was just glad that it was over. You know, there's somebody that sent a picture. There's a picture of all three of us in the ring before it locked up. And you can see, I got the picture. I'll have to show it to you sometime. You can look at the expression on all three of our faces. It's like, all right, what the fuck? You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm sorry, excuse my language. But, but that's exactly what that picture captured to me. And, and that was, the, I think, the, the sentiment of everybody in the ring at that point in time, which is kind of sad. That was the biggest matchup marquee, you know I mean? Yep. Damn, you know, Hogan, the Sting, the first matchup, my God. And for that to be that much of a cluster on a finish, that that that, that just dumbfounded me. That was kind of my indication that I knew that we wasn't going to fight nearly as hard as y'all, but I, but, uh, I was going to ride that wave as long as I could ride it. You know what I mean? As long as I'm still on the surfboard, there ain't no need in jumping off into the water. You know? When so. you came into WWE, I heard, I saw an interview you did from somewhere, maybe been, uh, oh, I can't think where it was, but, uh, you talked about how loyal fans were to WWE and WCW, which, I kind of yes. got the same impression that fans just kind of watched both, but you saw from a very unique perspective because you came from WCW. Aside from the fans, did you feel welcome when you came in WWE? From the boys, from everybody else? Because as far as I, I knew, there was no animosity there, but I can't speak for you because you had to come in during that time. I felt there was no animosity, and I think the boys, for the most part, welcomed us, but we were we were all – put into a position and told and low, and it should be that way that you're reinventing yourself right now, you know, and you've got to produce and it, uh, and and this is your time or you're not, or or that's it, you know? And, uh, and there was, and I felt more that the crew felt like they had the right to bust our balls and the boys, the boys didn't at all. Cause there was never really any heat between the boys, but I felt that some of the crew members, not, not office people, but crew members, uh, the camera guys and different stuff 
they felt at first like like uh, we were supposed to pay homage to them too, you know. And uh, hell, I'm I'm trying to be nice to everybody, but I don't, I'm not have somebody in my face acting like I have to pay homage to them, you know. And that happened a couple of times, but it was no really no big deal. But for the most part, that didn't matter. As long as the boys, I was good with the boys and good with management, I could deal with anything else. But it was like uh, it was like we had to reprove ourselves. It was all starting from from scratch again, you know. And uh, and and because basically we were. The handful of guys that you could really have done something with, you took, you know, Booker T and uh, and Paige, if he would have not been so busted up, he probably could have done better than he actually did. But uh, the rest of us had to reinvent ourselves and prove ourselves every step of the way, and as it should be. You know, that's that's the business. You have to always keep proving yourself constantly. If not, then you then you get a couple guys led in there and hold and okay, let's wait till they, let's wait till they come kid. <laughs> that worked, you know, 40 years ago, but then, uh, you know, you had to change with the times. And, uh, well, I can tell I, you, I sure, I sure enjoyed you coming because you're the main referee in SmackDown, I guess the head referee at that time. And so you got nearly all of my matches. I don't know if that was good for you or not, but it was great. Oh, it was awesome. It was it was an awesome experience. I'm not I'm not kissing up to you. You are one of the guys that I tell everybody when they talk about who was your favorite world champion. And, and everybody's mind immediately goes back to the older, older school guys. But I tell them, man, when I was up there in WWE, to me, the best champion I worked with was was JBL. Because and it's because you could work with everybody. You could work with big guys. You could work with little guys. You had a character. You could work old school. You could do. You could work with guys that wanted to talk about everything they did from the time the music starts to the time they get back through the curtain. You could do that if you had to. You could go out there and work and talk about absolutely freaking nothing if you wanted to. And you was one of the few guys that could do that. And to me, I really enjoyed, especially when we would go out there and not talk about a whole bunch of shit. You know, we had what we was going to do at the end, but we just followed and worked and played. That to me was a real enjoyment and it's probably some of the best, the most fun I had while I was up there, honestly. You and me and Undertaker had such a fun time out there. We literally would just, what do you want to do? We'll see you out there. Oh, that was, that was we awesome. Good with that. I was good with that. Taker was good with that. We had, you and us three had a really good, partnership and had a lot of fun out there in a, in a lot of matches, maybe a hundred plus matches. Do you remember that time? <laughs> this is kind of funny. We, we were working in Japan and you and Taker were fighting out on the floor up the aisle and you went to go out this gate and you couldn't get the gate open. So you went over the wall and then Taker come after you. He went over the wall and I went, I was like, Oh God, this is a pretty damn high wall. I clicked the gate and just walked through the gate and closed it before I stepped through that something. <laughs> when we got to the back, taker was like, damn. <laughs> I was working with Taker one time in Japan. I think it was the same match. We're out in the crowd, and I grabbed his cane, and I hit Taker with his cane, and he said, did you take that cr uh, cr uh, cane off that man over there? It was a man that had to use the cane to walk. And I said, yeah. Yeah. And he goes, <laughs> <laughs> It was such a heel move. I, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Nick, Nick, I know the answer is kind of obvious, but uh, which, which is easier for you to, to work? A, a natural match where, like you're saying, like a JBL match where, you know, very little is laid out, you know, and they, they're working off a reaction or an overproduced match where you know every spot's coming. And uh, what's, 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 what's the best feel for you? 
I like, I like the call and I like having a structure of what we're going to do, you know, so you, you know, because you have to have a structure, but I don't want to know every little move. And I think that guys that lock themselves into every little move miss out on opportunities because when you're out there working, things happen and, and you know, really cool things happen sometimes. And if you, and I've seen things happen for kids that they just don't even take advantage of it because it, they didn't talk about it in the back. You know, it was a, a huge bump accidentally, somebody busting their ass and well, they jump right back up because they didn't talk about taking this bump in the back. You know, I can't sell this. You know, it's like, wait a minute. You know, t- you learn to take advantage of things that play out in front of you a little bit more. Uh, I got, I understand the guys that are because because there's different styles and people expect different styles. They like the car crash matches. Not, you know, I, there and there's a place for a car crash match, but you don't want to watch a whole card of it. And like, you don't want to watch a whole card of all technical matches. You know, you have to have a broad spectrum. You got to have, you know, you got to have car crashes, high spot guys, lucha guys, technical guys. You got to have people that make you laugh. You got to have sexuality. You got to have all of that stuff. It's uh, and uh, I think that uh, you guys presented it that way, you know, and it's uh, old school was different. You just, you know, you, I, I enjoyed more, like I said, the old school style. Remembering everything is a lot of stuff to remember, and I can do that. But like I said, it locks you in. You miss out a lot of stuff. And I, and until you get really good at doing that, there's a lot of times, especially the young kids that are trying to do that, you see them when they're selling. Instead of really selling, they're looking and thinking about what they're going to do next. You know, and, and when I hate when I see that with experienced people that are good at doing their spot matches, they know when they're selling and they sell. But a lot of times you'll see, with, especially with younger kids that are trying to duplicate that style, they miss out on their selling so much, you know, because you can, they're, they're so busy thinking about oh God. Okay. What do we talk about? What's next? What's next? You know, and, and yeah, you're, you're so exactly right. And that, that's what I, what I'm thinking now with, 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 with the talent that, that, that's out there now, you know, uh, the spontaneity of, of our business, you know, I, I feel that. I mean, everybody loves the crowd. You got to have a crowd. The crowd, the crowd's 99, nine tenths of, of our business, you know, that, that action with the crowd. But these, 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 these talent nowadays having to work without a crowd, instead of getting that crowd pop, they've, they've got to work for that internal pop. And I think it's elevated a lot of the uh, talent's work because they're working, you know, to that internal pop instead, instead of to a crowd pop. So I just feel like it, it's been a, it's been a blessing and a curse. I'm glad it's over with. And I would love to be on a, we lost Nick, but I would love to be on a new card. Well, Mr. Briscoe, uh, Nick had a call he had to take and Apparently that takes preference over us. Well, that shows you how important we are. We can get guys when we do get a quality guy like Nick Patrick, something comes up. And it must be you being from the state of Texas, because uh, I know it wouldn't be me being an Oki there. But Nick was fantastic. What history his family has in this business. Look up his old man. I mean, watch some of his matches. Watch the psychology. We were, we were, we were. I mean, Nick, Nick was brought up by a legend. That's all, really, all I can say. Yeah, and Nick's one of these great guys. You just love to be part of the business. And, and I, the only question I had left was to ask him about Big Nick. His son, Nick, you know, his son, Nick is autistic and right. Nick takes care of him. He takes him to the gym every single day, works out with him. He, Nick is 
if there's a father of the year award, Nick Patrick doesn't get it every single year, then that award doesn't mean much because it's a wonderful story about uh, Nick Patrick, the one that we know and his love of his son, the big Nick, as he calls him. Yeah, Big Nick. I've, I've had a fortunate, uh, a good fortune of meeting Big Nick, and I see that relationship. And uh, I wish every father and son had that type of relationship. And uh, and uh, and I, I, I'm, I'm blessed to have known that family well over the entire time I've been in the business. And my brother Jack was in the business two years before I was, so I basically known uh, known uh, known Nick and his family. You know, pretty near all my adult life there. And what a class act, what a class family, and what pioneers of this business and what contributors to this business, you know, to this day with, with them running this little independent wrestling scene that they have up in, uh, up in central Georgia there. And so more power to you, Nick. Good luck with your, your, your promotion there. Build us some stars because we always need them. Right, John? Absolutely. And and this worked out, even though Nick had to take a phone call and got off air with us, this worked out a lot better than what Tim White, the referee, worked out with us. So <laughs> we tried to get Tim White on. He actually got so mad he hung up and won't talk to us anymore. We never got him on. <laughs> we never heard from him. We don't know if, if Timmy or what happened if Timmy ever made it out of the state of Texas after hanging up on us. He, he might have drove right in that damn Lake Dallas. You know, we never hear from him again. But uh, if anybody sees Tim White out there, Tell him that Zoom is a, is your friend and it's easy to do. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Well, thank you, Mr. Briscoe. I'll see you next week. As always, a pleasure and go Oklahoma State. Oh, jeez. <laughs>